Hello, you are listening to Practicing Gospel. I'm David Rayburn. Healing work is a form and part of peace work. For those of us who are Christians, peace is rooted in the Jewish concept of shalom, a state not only of a lack of conflict, but also one of wholeness and wellness. What has been broken is repaired. What has been injured or wounded is healed. What has been stolen, taken, or lost is restored. For us Christians, shalom is in part brought about and maintained, sustained, by expressions of love. Among those expressions is the practice of edification, the practice of building a person up to enable them to fulfill who they can be. Edification occurs as much through little daily behaviors of caring as it does through big gestures. Consequently, healing work and peace work must always move beyond awareness, understanding, and acknowledgement to real-life actions. In an effort to bring about racial healing and to continue to challenge and overcome the constant influence of white supremacy, the work Maida Commerce began with her Story Medicine Wisdom School has been extended to developing a community action effort called the Race Relations Station. Here to help us talk about this effort are Father Dennis Fotinos and Liz Huseman. Well, welcome. Thank you for being with me tonight. Uh, why don't we begin by uh, talking about uh, how the Race Relations Station got started? Yeah, I, I uh, found it to be a life-changing uh, experience that started in April of 2016 when uh, Trinity Church here in Asheville hosted uh, a local community gathering that was part of a national Episcopal Church teaching series on race and racial justice. And um, I agreed to host that gathering for Trinity Church. And um, we had originally signed up uh, quite a number of people. Unfortunately, the first date that we were to host it was in January and there was a blizzard. <laughs> so people couldn't make it. But we rescheduled for April and we ended up with about 12 to 15 people. Uh, it was a three-day event with some of the most remarkable speakers um, who, as they made presentations, really impacted my understanding of race and racism that brought an entirely new perspective to me. Some of the people that were speakers uh, that really hit me between the eyes, if you will, were people like Brian Stevenson, uh, Michelle Norris from NPR, Kelly Brown Douglas, who happens to be a colleague and Episcopal priest and also a teacher. Uh, now she's the head of uh, Union Seminary for the Episcopal students there. Um, but these speakers shared incredibly informative uh, lectures and story sharing of their life experiences that made such an impact on my life. Well, the goal of this national event was that wherever groups were gathered around the country that were tuned into this via the computer, 
uh, live streaming the event, that it was the hope of the teaching entity that this wouldn't just be a three-day event, but it would foster further discussion. And so as the weekend was wrapping up, I, as part of the script uh, advised, asked if any members that were present at this training event would like to continue the discussion on race and uh, racial understanding and racial justice and so on. And two other people beside myself, I raised my hand, said, as the host here, I'm quite interested in continuing this discussion. And Meta Commerce, a remarkable, remarkable woman, uh, raised her hand. And a younger gentleman uh, in the group named Matthew Abrams raised his hand. And so as we did our concluding bit and I dismissed everybody, I asked for those two to stay and we sat for a few more minutes and agreed that we would commit ourselves to meet once a month for the next six months for at least an hour and a half to two hours and that we set up some dates, put it on the calendar so that we commit ourselves to it. And we started the process of meeting together and discussing our own experiences and our own understanding of uh, race and race, racism. Uh, and it really began to open vistas to me that I felt guilty about not having reached earlier in my life and career, because I'm, at that point, I I've been really retired from full-time active ministry. I only helped out and volunteered or did some supply work and things. So I thought, my gosh, what, why was I so slow in getting onto this and really learning what was going on? But that's how it started. It started on April 16, uh, 2016, and we have been meeting, Meta, Matthew, and I, ever since. Uh, we didn't stop after six months. It went on for now five years. So that we have met over lunches, we've met mealtimes, we've met in parks, we've met at homes, we've met in different places, but it fostered uh, an opportunity for real sharing, building relationship, and it has been truly life-giving and transformative for my entire view and understanding and changed just so much in my life. So that's where we began. Well, how did it end up kind of developing broader than just you three? Okay. Um, about two and a half years ago, Maida shared during one of our, one of our meetings, this, uh, the three of us, that she had come to a kind of an awareness in herself that the experience that we were having might be something that could be valuable and opened up to others to share the experience that ours, we all agreed, all three of us agreed that this had been a very valuable and um, life enriching experience, learning to trust other people with the kind of um, soul searching sharing that's required in this kind of a group setting. Um, so we decided and started discussing that and we started bringing some other people in to help build a network that would start 
to enable us to extend invitations to people out in the community and say, here's something that we've done. It's been very meaningful to us. We think it would be beneficial for others. And we explained what we were doing and why we were doing it and invited uh, people, hosted some gatherings, um, and a number of people showed up and came out of interest and find out more about what we were doing. And a number of people plugged into it and uh, formed threesomes. Um, we found that was an important dynamic, that just two people was not quite enough. Three would help keep some dynamic uh, in the group and maybe a little more accountability and a little more maybe safety for doesn't become just sort of two with their own issues, but a third party that kind of keeps uh, the dynamic open and flexible and fluid. Now, Liz, is that how you got connected? Was in one of those invitations? Well, I got connected because in my uh, community of faith, Grace Covenant Presbyterian Church, I was attending um, what we called the Power and Race Team. And the purpose of this team was to disrupt white supremacy in the community and also um, um, in ourselves. And Meta uh, came to one of our meetings and um, described the race uh, relations station as an opportunity to go deeper within ourselves. Uh, she uh, exclaimed, and I use that word because she had a lot of emotion. She said it was an opportunity to uh, share our race story. And she said, yes, uh, um, white people have a race story. And it's a story of white privilege and how our participation in it is benefiting us benefiting me and harming harming people of color. And um, so I signed up. I signed up after she uh, described uh, um, what the opportunity was. And um, I really um, um, liked how she structured it. And how, how is that structure? What, what is the structure? You know what she um, we use a structure of triads where we meet uh, once a month for a year for 90 minutes and um, um, it's about um, trusting so that we truth tell about um, um, our our white privilege and our uh, how we use white supremacy. Meta's, um, in, Meta, in one of um, um, her presentations, talked about um, um, an opportunity to weave a thread of understanding, healing, and community together. So I think of it as like I have this thread and I'm connected to two other people um, in my triads, and I'm also connected uh, to God. So I'm holding on to it and God's holding on to it. And this helps me settle into um, how, how I can be connected and can trust this process and then talk about my white privilege. Okay. So she uses a triad and she also 
um, has uh, retreats. Like with uh, the pandemic, we had um, one in person and two through Zoom. And um, we've read books and it was an opportunity to get um, some of our ugly truths out um, about um, how we've harmed uh, uh, BAPA uh, people, um, Black, Indigenous, people of color. Well, do you, um, do you end up at some point getting all the triads together for a, a kind of a year-long debriefing uh, or something like that? Yes, I can speak to that, that uh, we start by inviting people to learn and to understand sort of what we what the model is. We let them go with information, with material to work with, some uh, a, a source book that gives them some basis for their discussions. But we do, in fact, yes, they have these retreats. We've had three and four retreats per year where hopefully we'll get back to where we can all meet in person. Uh, we did one of those out at Canuga Conference Center, which is out in Hendersonville. Um, we've also had group gatherings at St. Mary's Episcopal Church there on Charlotte Street in Asheville. And we would like to be able to get back together in person. Otherwise, we're doing them on Zoom. But we have had in the past, I don't know if Liz was involved, I can't remember, but we've had picnics with the whole group all of the different, that was the first set of um, four triads that were meeting with us. And uh, at the end of the year, we had an end of the year celebration. Um, this year in December, we had an end of the year celebration on Zoom, unfortunately. It's not the same level of, again, sharing and breaking some bread together, having food and uh, sharing stories and experiences. But we do try to get the whole plenary group together uh, several times during the year that they commit to. And the point of our doing is based on my experience with Matthew Abrams and with Meta was that it would go on, that this would build some relationship and you'd want to continue with these people. You get to know them, you start to build trust, you, you, uh, you have further discussions, you can. Well, at the end of the year, do you reshuffle the triads? Uh, if needed. Like I finished my first year and um, I will be going my second year and my I triad um, sounds like it will remain together. So we will be going on a second year together. Okay. But you can reshuffle yes, and you say some, it's needed. If some people find that it, it, it didn't work for them or the scheduling wasn't right with the other people they were involved in, for whatever reason, they can ask request to be, you know, change groups, or um, there are some that decided at the end of the year that this was, while they felt it was overall beneficial, that they didn't wish to continue and that they would do other things to work on their development of their racial sensitivity and their work toward racial justice and equity. So um, that's fine. That means that in one particular group, we have a we need to get a third person to fill out that one one triad. Uh, so we do have to shift people sometimes. Well, give us give us some examples from your own experience of in your own lives uh, of your own race story. 
Well, it has helped me with um, my uh, white uh, saviorism. Um, I, I have always felt like I needed to um, um, help people um, and um, I, I needed uh, to stop um, instructing, uh, you know, uh, BIPOC um, on what to do. Like um, what I needed to learn was to listen. I needed to listen and um, I needed to follow their leads. Um, like they're talking about reparations with city council. And um, I, I don't need to go in there and uh, tell them what to do, tell uh, people of color what to do. I, um, I need to allow them uh, to come up with their own solutions. One of the okay. things that I can share in terms of that uh, experience is that having done this course, of course, at church and then getting fired up about the readings and watching videos and being in the discussion group with Maytan and uh, Matthew, I, uh, of course, become the big expert. And um, building on what Liz has said, I have built a relationship with one of the staff at the church who's African-American. He's a wonderful fellow, just absolutely wonderful fellow. And he often helped me set up for groups I started leading at the church on discussions about racial justice. And we call it becoming beloved community. How do we become beloved community uh, is understanding our racial history and um, opening ourselves to, uh, to really a transforming relationship with people of color and so on. Uh, allowing, as Liz says, for them to take leads and not to feel like we are somehow the superior benefactors that are going to come in and rescue them. They don't need rescuing. Uh, they need listening to. But I asked, as he was helping me set up for one of the sessions, I asked him, I said, what do white people do to you um, that really is so frustrating and difficult? And uh, what do we white people do? And he said, well, uh, he looked at me, I think he was wondering whether I really wanted to know or not, but he said, <laughs> um, you know, what white people will do is tell us what the issues are and how to solve them and what the problems are. And I proceeded without even thinking to say, you know, I just read this book and it says that da 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 and this is what it is and this is what's going on and this is what's really happening. And he just kind of finished what he was doing, walked out and walked down the hall. And mm -hmm. two hours later, it hit me between the eyes. I thought, oh, my God, I did just exactly what he said white people do. Yeah. And I went rushing down there and where he was in the, in the fellowship hall. And I apologized profusely. And I said, I am so sorry. And he looked at me and said, for what? And I said, I did exactly what you said. He said, well, I was hoping you'd catch on, but I, you know, I just, um, he said that he said, I feel hopeful that you actually caught yourself and uh, you, you came and you know what, but what further I learned from this was I shared this event at a building bridges in Asheville program, uh, following up program. 
And the leader of the program looked at me and said, you know, that really shows white privilege. You went to him and apologized and you really wanted him to pat you on the back. And I thought, oh, you're right, I did. I wanted some acknowledgement. Isn't that cool on my part? I really did get it, you know? And um, that's not what it's about. And it's not that I'm a bad person or any of us are bad people. As I'm working with, trying to work with white people in our, in our church, of course, now not so easy, but when we were having in face meetings, it's difficult to have this discussion. And it's, we are not horrible people. We didn't create the systems that are structured to benefit white people over people of color. And yet we do benefit from it. And so we need to learn our history and we need to be responsible for what we can do to, to change it in the future, even though we didn't create them in the past. So we really do have to come to understand them and uh, acknowledge their reality. Uh, denying it does not make it go away or make for justice. And um, so, uh, but, you know, there was an example of coming to learn more and having your your nose rubbed in it. And that's one of the things that the threesome, the triad, I had have, have had any number of opportunities to have my nose rubbed in things when I was living in my know-it-all you know, superiority, um, sharing all my insights and learnings. Look what I learned today, boy, aren't I, aren't I a good boy? I get a gold star for that, don't I? And Meta just look at me sometimes and she says, boy, oh boy, privilege, <laughs> just privilege. Um, yeah. and, uh, you, know, you know, it's also helped me with uh, being silent. Um, you know, when, when I see something that's racist, you know, saying something about it. I had a um, an experience at uh, my work where um, um, I have a brother-in-law that's Chinese and I have um, um, nephews that are Asian American and they saw my brother-in-law's name, which is uh, W-A-N-G, and they started to um, uh, mock uh, Chinese people by doing like the slanted eyes and talking like, you know, they, uh, they think they talk. And um, it was, I, I didn't say a word, I didn't do anything. I absolutely didn't do anything. I was afraid about my job. And I talked about it um, in uh, my triads. And I will never, ever do that again. I mean, I've learned that, you, that, that I need to speak up. I need to confront people. And no matter if it's my job or whatever, I, I, need, to, I need to say something. Well, I know that, um, and, and your, your example is, it raises a, a good question. Uh, because um, since the the black community, the African American community, uh, has experienced the large majority uh, of what's going on now, especially that has has necessitated uh, the need for Black Lives Matter, um, but they're not the only ones that white supremacy uh, does the same things to uh, the Asian community. Uh, 
the mm. uh, India Indian community and the American Indian communities. Um, in what way has have have those elements uh, been a part of your all's conversations? Well, they in the reading that we do, we try to look at the entire examples that are provided of social injustice. And as we share uh, our journeys and our own experiences, uh, we certainly become more and more sensitive to the fact that standing by and simply watching, which I certainly have been guilty of many, many times, unfortunately, and, you know, simply allowing things to go and say, well, I, you know, it's not my battle. I, I just, I'll stay quiet. Um, it's less and less possible for me to do that anymore comfortably. I can't live with myself mm-hmm. anymore without, without doing something. And that's, again, mm-hmm. not to pat myself on the back. It just simply is, it's required. And for those of us of a faith community commitment, you know, if I'm going to be anything sincere about trying to be a follower of Jesus, you know, that's the toughest thing in the world. It's a, the church has deceived us a lot. You know, we want to worship Jesus, not follow him. Well, huh, it, I find it's much easier to worship Jesus than follow him and do what really called for. And so in these contexts, it is essential to have a little bit of integrity and a little bit of courage to step up and do something. And we do remarkably have a lot of power. I mean, I, a year ago, I was in line at a Walmart. And the checkout lines of you're at Walmart can be fairly long and people buy lots of stuff. And there was a lady, we were waiting, 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 getting, finally getting up. There was a lady in front of me, African-American, with five children. I would guess an age from about eight down to a baby in the carriage. And the kids were impatient and they were whining and crying and the lady with full basket of stuff and she was trying to check it out. And at the end, she was writing a check and the cashier went into a big hissy fit about her check and she had to go get the assistant manager and she had to come over here and get a register that for people that have written bad checks and compare it and she had to have all sorts of IDs and this and that. And I, the, the poor lady was ready to just tear her hair out and scream, you know. And, and I finally stepped up and said, excuse me, you know, what, what seems to be the problem? They said, would, would you just butt out of this? It's not your concern. I said, no, no, no. Why, why does this lady have to produce all this, uh, this information? I, I said, I'm standing here. I can hear this conversation. I'm right behind her. Um, well, you, you know, we, this is required. Uh, people just can't come in here and rip us off and blah, 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 blah. I said, well, I think you're running, jumping to conclusions and so on. And the, and the lady seemed, you know, she was very distressed. And um, we finally, I said, you need to get the manager over here. I said, I, I want to talk to the manager myself. I said, I'm not pleased with the way this is, this is playing out here. And, um, well, I said, no, you don't, no, no, well, well, I want the manager. So we finally got the manager and we, but it, it, children were screaming. They were running, run, you know, it, it was horrible. And the, as it turned out, the manager called her bank with the check was, and the check was good. Money was there for the, for the check, but they put her through hell. And I've maintained the only reason they put her through hell was because she was black. 
And you know, I, that I, if if it had been anybody else, I mean, there's a, and we can go on and on with the examples of that. I, I they think this is not just something that happened 50 years ago in civil rights movement. This goes on every day. I have a black clergyman colleague, Episcopal priest in, in Charlotte, who was almost run over by a police car pulling up on the sidewalk to stop him. He was walking home to his house from the grocery store with two bags of groceries. And because he was black on the street, the, pull, the police car pulled in front of him, jumped out with a gun pulled. And here is a clerk. He didn't have on a collar. He, he also lectures at um, UNC Charlotte. And so he was in a suit. And the, the police officer said, the, he's so, so startled, he said, well, what, what's going on here, officer? He said, well, uh, we've had a report that a black man has been lurking around houses. He said, does it look like I've been climbing in windows here in a, in a suit <laughs> and a, with two bags of groceries and, um, you know, so on. Uh, but he said, that's the kind of thing that they live with all the time because he yeah. happened to be a black person walking down the street, a black male especially. Um, you know, we can pull right up and terrorize you and um, with a gun drawn. And uh, here is a college professor, Episcopal clergyman, um, you know, so we, we really don't understand, um, most of us white people, we haven't had to, that is white privilege. I don't have to know what's going on. I don't have to know how bad it is. Yeah, and you know what, I want to go back to um, these triads. You know, being with two other people for uh, a year, uh, once a month for 90 minutes and being able to just be honest about some of the things that you've said, some of the things that you've done, um, there's healing with that. There is absolute healing. It, it, there's there's a, a, a freeing for me where um, um, I am finally like dealing with some um, things that that you know I need to deal with, and um, so because of these relationships that I have with two other people, I feel like I'm healing, and I'm also learning to. Um, understand um, about being white and all the privileges I get. And that's really what Dennis was talking about is all these privileges just because we're white that we get. Um, you know, I get into a job interview because my, my name sounds white. Um, I get into the interview, I can get a job you know, I get economic security. And that is not um, the case always for BIPOCs. Um, how do you, I guess I'm thinking about once you're in the triad, um, how do you guide yourselves if you're three white people in a triad? Um, I mean, how do you know how to talk about where your blind spots are 
I mean, that's kind of part of if you, you know, I, I perceive much of my own racial history as being a whole lot of cluelessness. Uh, and if I was in a triad with two other clueless white people, uh, how could we go about correcting ourselves and, and getting better at, at being aware of those blind spots? You know, uh, one of the things that helped um, the triad that I was in is uh, uh, Meta gives you some guiding questions that you can consider. And those guiding questions really help you um, um, look at your life story. Um, give start. You can start to look at um, 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 questions of, of, of race. But but she gives you these questions to consider. And then as we read books. We talk about the books um, as a triad. And so I have to tell you that the conversations, it, it, it starts with these questions and books, and then it becomes very organic. You know, you, you get to a point where um, you go, um, it, it, you, it, the conversation just happens. You start talking about, um, you know, I need to um, um, spend my money with uh, black businesses. Um, I, I want to uh, find a, a, a physician that's um, African-American. Um, you start, things just start happening. Okay. Yeah, I would say that comes out of the readings and that mm -hmm. that's where you kind of get your feet held to the fire is um, if you really do carefully read the the material that mm -hmm. that we're recommending and right now we're fortunately there are a lot of really very very good books mm -hmm. that are relatively in the last five to ten years that have really come to the format of understanding our racial history so that helps okay okay um, in our kind of preparatory talks, uh, you had talked not just about your own experiences, but um, wanted to talk a little bit about some of the other transforming stories um, that that have happened as a result of people in triads and, and being connected with the Race Relations Station. Uh, tell us one of those. Well, in terms of watching and being a part of people's journeys. Uh, one of the people in the group early on, one of the very first groups that we had, uh, really found it such a, a difficult and painful place to be uh, reading the material we were reading. He took on some responsibility of on my suggestion, some videos that he watched. And there are some very good ones out there. Um, and he came to a new awareness finally. Um, it was not an easy one. He shared with me, he said it was one of the most painful things. I said, my journey was very painful. Um, it is not easy to face the fact that the history that you have learned is by and large 
only white history. Uh, it is not really acknowledge the fact that African-American and people of color have been here and been, by the most part, very, very badly treated, brutally treated. And that coming to awareness was very painful for this gentleman. However, he is now, he subsequently moved out of our area, but he has volunteered in a community shelter where he's working with abused African-American women that have been beaten in very bad situations, really terrible situations. And he said he would never, ever have even thought about going there and becoming part of that until, had he not gone through this coming awareness of what. So I would call that a total turnaround from somebody who had no relationship to anyone of color and then now committing two or three nights a week working in, in a women's shelter for abused women and um, really coming to some sensitive, compassionate awareness of at least some of what those people are facing and dealing with. Liz? Yeah, I think for me, um, I haven't been in the program as, uh, as long as Dennis, but I think, you know, where I find the, the hope in in stories is when um, people talk about wanting to change other systems, change systems that they are involved in. And one story I'm thinking of is just how much work um, one participant is doing um, in um, his faith community to change um, 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 help people look at their white supremacy and white privilege. And so I always um, get hopeful when all of us begin to think about where, where in our lives do we need to take this? Okay. Well, I noticed on the website, um, you know, story, storymedicineworldwide.com is made as website, and that's where a, a tab for race relation station is, and that you all have a, both a vision and a mission statement. Uh, and the vision statement says a well diverse uh, and just community. And then the mission statement is racial healing and relationship building through story. Mm-hmm. You want to comment on those? Well, that is just truly, that's really it. It's the telling of, of the story in these triads. Um, it's it's the, the relationship that um, I have with these uh, two other people um, that has helped me heal. And it is about the story. It's about our story. It's about our race story. I, I would say that uh, that's generally correct. And, and where we are hopeful that each group and each individual will experience the same thing that Liz is finding and that uh, a really fine writer uh, 
Robin D'Angelo has written a book, mm -hmm. White Fragility, which was one of the books that we were reading, uh, assigned by uh, Meta and our group leadership as a, one of the several books that we've read. And when you read that, you discover, which was really true for me, uh, sharing my own journey. I grew up, I'm now 75 years old, and I grew up in the 50s in Miami, Florida. And I went all the way through preschool, school, university, and theological seminary, and never, ever had a, an African-American or person of color as a teacher or in my class. Mm. And so, as Robin points out, we have lived in such a segregated world. And if you grew up, particularly at my vintage, you could go through your entire life in worship, in every aspect of your life, every aspect of your life, and never experience being around people of color. Never in any way. And no one will tell you that you have missed out on or lost anything by that segregated life. That there was nothing that you would have benefited from or been enriched by had you ever engaged or experienced relationships across these different lines. And what a loss. I mean, what a loss it truly is. And I feel so blessed. As a pastor, I have, uh, have had the privilege of having African-American people of very significant education and, and professional standing in my congregation. Um, you know, professionals that worked, I, I retired from Houston, Texas. I had oil executives and people that worked for big corporations, medical doctors, research people, um, what have you. Um, so getting to know them and start to build relationships, it took a long time. It took me 12 of the 15 years I was there to build up enough trust and that, that them trust me enough to start to tell me what life was really about for them. And these are top professionals. Mm. And they just didn't think, you know, while we had a cordial relationship, it was really rather superficial until we finally broke that level of ice and I could go and sit and listen to them and they could trust me to hear what they had to say and take them seriously and not say, oh, you must be mistaken. It really can't be that bad. Yeah. And I have neighbors that are um, African-American and just what Dennis is talking about, it's the power of the relationship. I mean, I, um, if I don't keep my schedule uh, a certain way and do my walking, my neighbors call me and say, are you okay? Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it's really, truly, um, um, it's the, it's the uh, power in um, developing relationships and developing relationships with people that are different from you. Well, in addition to connecting uh, to the station through Meta's website of storymedicineworldwide.com, um, how else uh, can folks know and get connected, uh, learn how to become a part of a, of a triad? Do you have like an annual kickoff or 
Yes, we, we will have, uh, Liz is not, a, 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 at, the, at the moment, has not been a part of our planning, but I think she will be. But um, the um, planning committee looks at the overall year schedule, and we are, we'll be having a meeting to talk about that um, next week, in fact, Thursday. And we'll be laying out the year schedule with retreats and anticipated gatherings. And during that time, we will designate a kickoff date. Um, and we usually advertise in the, I, for, I forget the name of the paper. It's the, oh, what is it? Is, is it? Mountain Express. That's it. Thank you, Liz. The Mountain Express. Um, they are very, very good to us and allow us to run articles advertising our gatherings so that people who follow that um, periodical generally are people we find that are, tend to be more interested, more prone to, to show an interest in uh, racial healing and racial justice issues. So um, we will publicize uh, the gathering where it will take place. Uh, we're hoping that maybe by late spring, early summer, we'll actually be able to have physical on-site meetings, but there's no guarantee of that at this point. Um, we right. will have to limit the yeah. Zoom, but we will publicize it in uh, the Mountain Express. Okay. And there's a great article uh, from the past that's in Mountain Express that people uh, can also read if they want some uh, additional information. That's what, you know, I read that uh, when I became interested. How do you get access to that? You know what? Just go to Mountain Express on the um, on uh, the internet and um, type it in, and it pops up. The race relations station. Type that in. Uh huh. Okay. Okay. Good. Well, I'm grateful uh, for you all being with me tonight. Uh, I am grateful for uh, you giving us a better understanding of something that moves beyond just theory into actual doing something uh, that helps bring about healing. And uh, uh, I understand that uh, you all have a big event coming up uh, pretty soon, uh, that there's a, uh, like a 10-year celebration. Is that right, of Maida's work? Yes, yes. And uh, she's going to be... Uh, telling us more all about that shortly. Yes, we're, we're looking forward to a celebration for that event. And we've actually, thanks to a lot of hard work on the planning committee, especially Meta's part, she's taken the whole real responsibility and burden for it. But um, she deserves a lot of credit for hanging in there with all of us people that have a lot to learn. <laughs> well, and you're right. You're right. She's an incredible human being. I, I am honored to know her. Well, blessings to you both and to the work that you're doing. Uh, and uh, hopefully this, this effort will expand. Thank you, David. Uh, so, yeah, thank you for being with me. Thank you. You are listening to Practicing Gospel. I'm David Rayburn. The music for this episode comes from a clip of a song called Father Let Your Kingdom Come that is on the Porter's Gate Worship Project Work Songs album and used by permission by the Porter's Gate Work Project.
You can purchase the album and learn more about the Worship Project by going to the website, theportersgate.com. This show has as its purpose enabling you to hear the voices of the Christian left and about the issues and concerns that are of interest to the Christian left. Practicing Gospel Inc. is a nonprofit organization. If you like what you've heard, go to my website at practicing-gospel.blubrry.net to subscribe and hopefully to donate. Your participation will help me continue this effort. Thank you for listening and for your support. Blessings. May the words from my mouth